we aim to help and resource kids, pastors and leaders. I'm Andy Kirk and today I want to talk to you about identity. It's a big topic and I know that there's uh, lots that we can cover in this space. But before we do, I just wanted to say it has been incredible to be out and about uh, over the last uh, month. Uh, just in some of our locations around the states with some of our state training day here in Australia. It's, uh, it's been a brilliant time uh, just connecting, worshipping and just centering around the Word of God and even some practical training that's to come. Tasmania and Western Australia, your time's coming in May as we uh, get past Easter now. I hope everyone has enjoyed their Easter break. Uh, I'm praying and believing that many lives were touched in your local churches, wherever you are around the world. And uh, and, and I'm just excited about what's happening um, in the global church. Uh, recently, I've had the great opportunity to connect in with a lot of leaders from around the world. And God is doing something incredible right now. I think there are different shapes and different um, uh, spaces and things that are happening. But what I just really want to encourage us all is to continue to keep our uh, hearts and our eyes um, open and fixed toward what God is doing in this new season. And part of that is all around identity. And that's what I want to focus in on today. Tim Keller states in his book, Counterfeit Gods, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. And anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. Right there is a, uh, is, is a whole lot in that statement right there. What is it right now? And this is a question you can be asking that, that is more important than God in your life right now. Or, or as we dig deeper to unpack that, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination that, that one right there. Um, anything that you seek to, the, the, to, to give you what only God can give you, that's what an idol is. And so often we'll say, oh, no, I haven't got idols or no, I've, I've, I've got my identity all worked out. Well, I want to take a look at a story, a well-known story. And here we are, many of us, kids, pastors and leaders in leadership. And we would have all taught the story of David and Goliath before, but I want to unpack this a little bit. Um, typically, what we do in our uh, in our teaching, in 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 our kids' church, in our services, even to adults, it's it's a little bit like our um, uh, our three steps. So it would go a little bit like this: we teach that Noah was good, and God loved him. Noah was obedient, and God saved him. If if you're good and obedient, God will love and save you too. Or, or what about Daniel? Daniel was faithful even, even when bad men were against him. God rescued Daniel because Daniel was faithful to God. Now, if, if we're faithful, God will rescue us. <laughs> the problem is all these narratives are, um, are easily kidnapped and pressed into service by our self-absorbed <laughs> Egos, and I'm talking to myself here. I'm not having a go anyone out there listening. What we do is give us a story, ask us which character that we identify with, and the truth is we'll often choose the hero or the heroine in the story. We see ourselves in them. They embody our desires for victory, our success, approval. The Bible stories are no different in how we do this. 
And so David and Goliath is no different to this. What we often do is we 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 see the story of David Goliath and and David comes out and gets five smooth stones and what we'll do is often we'll look to unpack the five smooth stones that David used and uh, we could name them all different things but for the for the purpose of today we we look at courage confidence preparation trust and victory and you can overcome with the spirit of God past experience the word of God a vision something big a heart full of faith then you can take down the giants that you face each each lesson is a variation on the same threefold theme David chose five stones God has given you five smooth stones to face the giants in your life. And if you use these stones, you'll be victorious. Even a popular way that people would say this is sometimes God puts a Goliath in your life for you to find the David within you. Now, all of this is going to preach and all this is going to teach. But the truth is it's missing one key component. Jesus, (laughs) the one key thing that the whole bible is about the center of the old testament the author and perfecter of our salvation and it's who has taken our place and it's jesus our faithfulness our obedience our battles our weapons our victories that that's all that that's all great but church has become the place for self-affirmation and self-actualization and self-esteem and we and if we are not careful it can become quite the idol's uh, set up the idols in our life. So let's have a look at this story of David and Goliath. What's going on in the story? It's not just David facing down a giant in his life. The big question that we have to ask in the story is, who is the true king of Israel? Really, that's what the, the question was here. You see, there's been a struggle going on and this tension in the narrative about whether Saul really is the king of Israel, whether he's going to be a good one or if he's not a good one, Um, who's going to replace him you see the real story um, of David and Goliath is that when Israel comes to its moment of its greatest need the king who is actually supposed to be appointed to fight the people's battles is actually cowering in his tent because he's scared of the giant then here comes a little shepherd boy who says I'm here Um, power of the Lord and uh, I'm going to you know, in, in true Australian style, I'll have a crack. I'll, I'll, I'll give it a go. You know, roll up the sleeves. Let's go. And, and so there's this heightened tension, though, about who the real king of Israel is. Saul, or this little guy, who's actually functioning as the king of Israel. Now, as the narrative plays out, you find out that the, in the Gospels, as the story unfolds, that it's actually Jesus who winds up fighting and winning the greatest, most dangerous battle that Israel faces, which is against sin and Satan. So the story on the battlefield so many years earlier is setting up this image. So the great question of who is the king of Israel. Well, it's not Saul. He's cowering in his tent. It's not even David because of how things play out in his own life post this event. Jesus, and he's the victor. And at the very end, so let's take a look at this whole story just a little bit deeper when we dig into it. We start with the greatest showdowns in the Bible, and it's presented to us in 1 Samuel 17. And the Philistines have gathered their armies for battle on one mountain and the Israelites have gathered theirs on the other. And between the two armies is this large valley 
of Eli. And, and Goliath is introduced to us in a way that is intended to make the readers tremble. The Philistines send their gladiator off the mountain into the middle of the valley. And I mean, if you can just picture that, he is six cubits and a span. Don't forget the span, which equates to nine foot six inches, really, in height. And from head to toe, he's covered in about 60 kilograms of armor. And, and his hand, he holds a spear with a seven kilogram iron head. Uh, uh, Goliath is a monster. His biceps are bigger than the average man's torso. The intended effect to the reader requires the collective wow. And, and that's working because that's exactly what's happening. And so his thunderous voice comes across the valley and, and challenges. Now, the presentation of Goliath ends with a chilling taunt. I'll defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now, I've, I've played the part of Goliath many times in, in my house. And my sons will get um, cushions off the couch and throw them at me. A little bit not to scale when you think about it. They were supposed to be stones, but large pillows seem to work in our reenactment, and they knock me down. They they find incredible fun in um, deciding to then to try and um, decapitate me at the end of my of my uh, falling. And uh, there's a bit of fun. It's fantastic. And, and and I would say that in my own home, I'd say my own life, in my own understanding, my own reading and own teaching of this, it would have been that. Like, there's a David who can confront the Goliaths in his life. But the problem is, if we go right back in 1 Samuel to chapter 8, verse 20, before we get to this moment, there's a scripture that says, Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. This is the cry of the Israelites. They wanted a king. They wanted a king and they're crying out to God, we need a king, we need a king, we need a king. And, and God's like, well, you don't, not really, no. And and finally, he's, okay, we'll get a king because because the people persisted and what they wanted was a king so that they could be like other nations and they could have this king and they could go out and fight the battles. Israel specifically asked Samuel for a king. And so Saul, the powerful king of Israel's choosing, should have gone out before them as Goliath did, onto the battlefield, and instead, as I said, he's cowering in the tent. Now, through Goliath, the the Lord confronted Israel's idolatry. Israel wanted a powerful saviour king, and like the kings of other nations, to deliver them. But what happens when your enemies have a greater Goliath or have a greater saviour king? What happens when your idol is outdone by another idol? And so God, here he is confronting their idol with something that's bigger and, and, and better. And this is often the case in an idol. What, what, what satisfied yesterday is no longer satisfying us today. And so God has a remarkable way of making our idols powerless before the very fears that created them in the first place. <laughs> Let me say that one again. God has a remarkable way of making our idols powerless before the very fears that created them in the first place. Let's just unpack that for a moment. I've got some fears in life about identity. And so what I do is I, I set up for, for myself, um, you know, a, an image, I, I, a persona. I start to dress a certain way. I start to act a certain way. Because of the fears that I once had and the image that I wanted to portray, I set up idols. I start to establish positions in church as idols. I start to, um, 
you know, opportunities as idols, you know, cars as idols and all these things to project an image. But at the end of the day, the thing that will just unhinge all of those idols is is the way that God makes these powerless when when titles move, when um, clothes fade, when when cars are gone, when, when when it's not about money, you're left with with God. And so here, God is challenging the Israelites on their idol with another idol, and 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 so along comes David, and he says, "No, actually, I think I could take this giant down." And it's challenging the Israelites on on do they believe in God? Is there trust in God, or is there trust in this idol they've created? Let me suggest five idols that we set up. Um, and unless we let God defeat these in our own life, we will become their slave. The first idol that we can become slave to is ourself. The truth is we are self-obsessed people, or at least I am. Throughout the day, I filter everything through the lens of how it affects me. And in social settings, my focus usually lands squarely on myself. And though I know I exist to glorify Christ and reveal His love in a hurting world, I often easily slip into self-elevation mode. Um, according to Scripture, um, Christ, Christ is the one that that we need to um, elevate, not ourselves. We belong to an all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful Savior who gave His everything that we might live, and in return. He asks that we willingly give ourselves to him. And so through surrender, we can break free from the idol of self and in doing so, find freedom to be all that God created us to be. The second idol can be security. And and the security with and, and the challenge with modern day idols is often they arise from really good things, even necessary things, things and, and pleasures that the loving heavenly father okay and he can provide but the problem comes when we attempt to fill our needs um be it for significance or security in our own strength apart from god because our efforts will always be insufficient and our hearts will remain empty and this is precisely how the idol of security rises up we know inherently everything we rely on apart from christ is shaky at best careers and relationships stock markets crash and property markets but Christ never fails. And when we place our security in him, we can remain strong and unshakable. And, and so the second idol of security, we, we must allow God to shake that, change that, remove that. The next idol it can, can be approval. Approval. This is a hard one because often we all are seeking the approval of man, the approval of those around us. And, and, and God placed this longing within the human heart in order to draw us closer to him and one another to help us experience the same oneness, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit enjoy with one another. The problem arises when we place our desire to be liked above our relationship with God. Whenever we fail to obey when prompted, whether that means speaking truth or reaching out to the marginalized for fear for what others think, we've fallen into the trap of idolatry. In valuing man's approval more than God's, we demonstrate where our true loyalties lay. Matthew 6.24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one or love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And therefore, 
when we feel the idol of approval tug on our hearts, we need to ask God to help us rest deeper in him. The next idol can be relationships. And when each of my sons were born, I was obsessed. I would always hold and nurse and cuddle them. They were the center of everything and every thought and every action. But no human, still as loving as that experience can be, can fill the empty places in our hearts. In fact, when we seek fulfillment from others, be it our children, spouses, friends, or especially if we elevate those relationships above God, we end up feeling depleted. Only Jesus can meet our deepest needs. So the fourth idol can be relationships. We need to recognize that the relationship to others can come through the love that we first experienced through Christ. And so the last is success. What do you do is often the first question that people ask when you meet. And and when we're enslaved by the idol of success, this simple inquisition can trigger one of two reactions, insecurity or pride. And we soon find ourselves listing all our accomplishments um, or, or, or we start to, you know, um, project something different to hide the, the reality. And our identity is and must be found in Christ alone. Our value doesn't increase when we reach our goals or get promoted, nor does it dis- decrease when we're laid off or encounter some rejections. So how did Israel get set free? Because this is going to help us. A surprising character is introduced into the narrative of Goliath. And as we know, it's David. And, and David is sent by Jesse to take some food. And David responds, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? This response earns him the, you know, the ur of his brothers. But David confidently goes after this. And so he goes and gets the five stones, as we spoke about before. Not the key point of the story. Um, he... he he set out and, 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 and when you stand back from the story of David and Goliath, the much bigger picture of the story emerges that David foreshadows someone much greater, that God's champion Jesus arrives out of obscurity. He too came from Bethlehem, was lowly profession, despised by his brothers and weak in the eyes of Israel and Rome. Jesus veiled his glory and humility. This is the story of scripture that God sent his son who took our human nature And in the wilderness and then at Calvary, Jesus confronted and defeated our greatest foe, our greatest Goliath, Satan himself. And at the cross, Jesus disarmed principalities and powers and atoned for the rebellion and idolatry. Goliath didn't stand a chance before Christ. Goliath didn't stand a chance before David. And our Goliaths don't stand a chance when we position ourselves in Christ. So as we look at identity, as we have a look and we start to shape through our identity who we are, it has to be found in Christ. Our identity has to be shaped. Otherwise, we fall into idolatry. And this is the picture of this greatest kid's story that's probably ever told biblically. And I want to encourage us that at the end of the story, that Jesus wins. At the end of your story, Jesus wins. And right now I just um, speak out over everyone listening that victory that is found in Christ, that that um, peace in the storms, the calmness, but it is not by our striving. Our identity is firmly found in him. Well, that's it. That's my thoughts for today. Um, I appreciate you joining us again at the ACC Kids Leadership Podcast. 
Um, I know there's so much happening around the nation right now and uh, internationally. And again, I just continue to pray for you all. And, and if you ever need anything, reach out uh, via our website. You can book a Zoom meeting with any of our leaders. We're looking forward to Kid Shaper later in the year, in August, the 9th to the 11th on the Gold Coast, if you can make that. And for now, I just want to say um, you are doing a brilliant job. Jesus loves you. Have your identity firmly fixed in him and God will continue to do great things. Amen. Amen.